0: Here we are, back in First Timothy, chapter 6, starting at verse 3. We have a lot of work to do today, so we may as well leap into it. And again, thank you for tuning in. Thank you for making this a part of your, your week. If there's anything we can do to serve you, or if you'd like to know more about us, uh, maybe even how to give, just go to OurSafeHarbor.com or email us at info at OurSafeHarbor.com. Here we go. If anyone teaches false doctrine and does not agree to the sound instruction of our Lord Jesus Christ and to godly teaching, he is conceited and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy interest in controversies and quarrels about words that result in envy, strife, malicious talk, evil suspicions, constant friction between men of corrupt mind who've been robbed of the truth and who think that godliness is a means to financial gain. Oh my goodness, there's a way to start a midweek Bible class, isn't it? Uh, again, First Timothy 6, verse 3 and forward, we're going through the Bible in the order in which the books were written, the best scholarship that we can do, apply, all right? So, first of all, we covered this when we looked over at the books of Peter some time back. But because some of you may have hopped on just for Timothy or hopped on sometime later, uh, a, a review is very, very necessary here. When I was growing up, a false teacher was a teacher who disagreed with us. And it could be about a major thing. They may uh, disagree about the deity of Christ, uh, for example. But it was more often applied to people who had differing opinions and interpretations over things that were not nearly as lofty as the deity of Christ. For example, if somebody believed that somebody could be divorced and remarried and that'd be okay with God, uh, they were a false teacher. If they didn't take communion every Sunday, they were a false teacher. If they baptized, but uh, to join their church, not for the remission of sins, they were a false teacher, and on and on and on and false teachers abounded uh, the world was full of false teachers however that's not what the word means not here not in the first centuries there was a time where it meant what it meant then in our english language and there are pockets of that still around today there are linguistic pockets that are fascinating to me if you go into New Orleans, for example, in uh, New Orleans, Louisiana, there are sections that if you hear them talking, you think they're from Brooklyn or you think they're from New Jersey because their accents are almost identical. I don't have an explanation for that. I'm sure books have been written explaining it and you can look that up. But there's another linguistic pocket in East Tennessee and I happen to live in Middle Tennessee now in East Tennessee, a place I love and the people that I have gone in and out of those mountains for almost 30 years now, uh, speaking uh, at Knoxville and Oak Ridge and all of those areas around. And if you've never been up into Johnson city and Bristol, you really need to go up there. It's amazing. Anyway, they have phrases that aren't found other places. For example, I was over there once and one of the elders said, Hey, would you like to go with me the next day and, and do something here? And I said, yeah, I'd love to. Uh, and I said, well, I don't have, I don't know where it is. Uh, will you pick me up? And he said, Oh, I don't care to. And I, didn't, I didn't know what to say to that. And so I, said, oh, fair enough. And I'm trying to say, all right, now, how do I find this place? And what's going on here? I found out at, and it still is today. Uh, among many of the folk in East Tennessee, I don't care to means, well, I'd be happy to. That'd be nice if that was on the billboards for our strangers coming in. There are many like that uh, in East Tennessee, but there was one in particular, this really good guy. Uh, He was a deacon in a church where I've spoken many times and just a really sweet, kind guy. And we're all having lunch. And they found out that at that time, we lived up in Michigan, I had a parrot and we took care of other people's parrots. Long story. And he looked at me and he goes, you have a parrot? And I said, yes. And he said, isn't it ill? And I kind of froze. I, I was wondering who who would who would start a rumor that my bird was sick? And we him and hawed back and forth for what was probably 15 seconds but it felt to both of us like a few minutes because neither of us wanted to embarrass the other, but we were embarrassing ourselves and fearing that we were embarrassing the other. It all boiled down to the word ill over in East Tennessee means bad-tempered, hard to get along with. It didn't mean sick. Well, the word false here When we started using it for well they didn't take the lord's supper correctly they used leavened bread they didn't uh, they used an instrument when they sang their songs therefore they're false teachers no false meant of evil character and so peter just lays it out a couple of times actually and talks about um you know sexual predation about being brute beast toward people about only being in this for money and gain. These are very corrupt people. These are people who form churches as a way to get rich or to get women, like cultish leaders seem to have always done through history. L. Ron Hubbard, the founder of Scientology, very famously said that if you want to become powerful and super powerful and rich, you, you make a religion, and he did. This, um, you know, you can ask about everything from the you know, the cult that was at Waco to um, Eastern Indian cults, and you see sexual abuse. You see vast amounts of wealth going into their personal pockets. That's what false means, and in fact, he says so. They have an unhealthy interest in controversies and argument. That's um, I could actually apply to a lot of folk I know who enjoy writing me emails. Uh, they uh, about malicious talk and about evil suspicions constant friction between men of corrupt mind and he then then he wraps it up puts this bow on there who think that godliness is a means to financial gain so he's not talking here about somebody that doesn't quite get the concept of the Trinity you know that um, maybe doesn't understand that baptism is by immersion or you you get the drift. We're allowed to have doubts and different opinions and different interpretations because there's no way to prevent that at all. We are all such unique individuals coming from our own culture, uh, megaculture, the whole culture, the Gestalt, but also the little cultures inside of our homes side of our families what we learned in our neighborhoods so what is it how do we not be false well don't be a corrupt individuals one but paul says stick to the sound instruction of our lord jesus christ just read the gospels read them again repeat don't stop listen to jesus act like jesus sound like jesus do what he did that's the sound instruction of jesus christ that's sound teaching Uh, there are denominations that will advertise for ministers and they only want a sound preacher and what that means is a preacher that agrees with all of their interpretations and will stand up and preach those interpretations to people who already have them in the pew so just kind of you know tell us we're right every sunday and that the others are wrong and that's who we're looking for it should not be a surprise that those churches used to be big and thriving but now almost to a one they are disappearing and that's tragic we don't have time to argue about silly things we need to be doing like Jesus talking like Jesus and acting like Jesus we don't have time because not that long ago in America over 80% of people belonged uh, belong to a church but today that is down to 52%. The last figure I saw 52% and dropping quickly. In Breton, the numbers are closer to single digits. And that should terrify us because it's, it's not like we're losing our control. We've lost our story. We've lost the plot. We need to get the story back. So what does he say to Timothy? Godliness with contentment is great gain being godly and saying, you know, I'm okay with what I have. I don't need to become rich. I don't need to always be asking or or demanding more. I will make do with what I have and do the best I can with what I have. I think our safe harbor has really tried to do that. We're absolutely on a shoestring budget. The money coming in has allowed us to to meet our budget and do our work And so we're not in sackcloth and ashes, but we know we're every, we're always near the bone as we do this work. And that's, that's okay. I've had several times people will say, well, what if somebody gave you a check for several million dollars? Would you build a church building? And no, no, we might build, um, improvements to the soundstage and our ability to stream, we might we might even build a, a sound stream, a stage that was outside of this man's home, so he could have his house back. Uh, he, you know, sweet gentle man has he's always been happy to have us there. But we keep thinking, you know, um, well these days we might need to have our own sound. But but again, that's just dreaming. We're not looking for that. We're not raising money for that. We're not asking for that. Because right now, we're really happy. He's really happy. His wife's really happy. And we think we've made you happy. Godliness with contentment. Just just be like Jesus. Uh, If you want to be happy, I tell people the two big secrets are like what you have and want what you've got. Like what you have and want what you've got. All right, let's go on. For we brought nothing into this world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we'll be content with that. People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap, and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs we have seen it. we have seen it many times. Wanting money, wanting money, wanting money, and what they will do to get it compromises their soul and their character. It compromises their morality. I've seen it. I've seen it in ministers. I've seen it in the world so many times. We really need to be very careful. Uh, and by the way, the translation here in the NIV is really good when it says, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Uh, The King James kind of messed it up messed this up when it said the love of money is the root of all evil. When it is a root of all kinds of evil. So yeah, rage, sexual lust, those things can also be roots of evil. Okay? But the love of money is a certain I think the difference is that the love of money is an acceptable passion in our society. So we have music stars talking about their bling and talking about their money, money, money and showing off their money, money, money. And you know, this is my house and look at all the money, money, money. And the world looks at that and goes, very nice. Yes, that would be nice to live there because it's an acceptable passion It becomes a very easy thing to corrupt and destroy us so want what you've got like what you have and be like Jesus and he goes on but you man of God flee from all this and pursue righteousness now that's in pursuit of is Timothy ever going to be perfect of course he's not that pursuit You're going to stumble and such, but keep facing that direction. Godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Gentleness. Notice that the false teachers were endlessly arguing. They were battling about words. They were just going at each other. But the godly people are to be gentle. Remember that. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Um, <coughs> we are not given a, a written down statement that we have to say for confession. The um, Ethiopian eunuch, otherwise known as the Queen's treasurer, back in the book of Acts, he said um, that he believed that Jesus Christ was the Son of God, and that was considered a confession. Interestingly enough, the word confession and profession in scripture are generally the same word. So by the way you live your life, your profession, your, your life, that is your confession. It shows what you, what you believe and in whom you believe. <coughs> Sorry, I did not have a cough before I started this. Uh, I'm recording this actually in the first part of October. And so while many of you are seeing beautiful leaves changing and such, some of our leaves are changing. But also, there's a bunch of dust in the air. And guess who's allergic? God um, did not make me a mighty man. Uh, here we go. In the sight of God, who gives life to everything, and of Christ Jesus, who, while testifying before Pontius Pilate, made the good confession, I charge you to keep this command without spot or blame until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ which God will bring about in his own time. What a a difference from the people like at the first of this chapter arguing quarrelsome controversies and two thousand years later they're still doing it. God's going to come back now. I've got the, I know how to do revelation. Come to my seminar. This must be the end of the world because gas prices have gone up and we don't like the president or we don't like the president that was or the president who might be and oh god will bring it about in his own good time why do you care about the end of the world why do your job god will sort out the rest god the blessed and only ruler gotta remember that the king of kings and lord of lords Who alone is immortal, and who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see, to him be honor and might forever. Amen. What a wonderful charge, but also a reminder. Back in September, Queen Elizabeth II passed away. She was obviously the only queen, only monarch I knew growing up. Uh, Only one you knew, unless you're well into your 90s. So um, it reminded me of something. You know, the pageantry was beautiful, by the way, and the sermons, if I remember correctly, were just saturated with Christ, and I appreciated that very, very much. Uh, But I heard a story from a preacher when I was just a boy that has stuck with me. And he talked about when Queen Elizabeth became Queen Elizabeth, and she was the young queen uh, it was a you know, a tragic thing that occurred to to shove her in that position, with the death of her father and then the abdication of her or of her uncle. Now this young lady was going to have to bear this burden, and as she went, you know, they they showed live. Here comes the carriage. Here's all the horsemen and all the diamonds in the crown and all the diamonds and the dresses, and the preacher went on at length about. How every news cycle, every newspaper, every news reel back then, ask your grandparents, and every news program would talk about the monetary worth of the diamonds, the carrots of the diamonds, the emeralds, the sapphires, etc. All of this incredible wealth passing by. And then the preacher stopped and he said, And there's not a person in this room can name any of those numbers. There's not a person in this room. That retained any of that information. However, a young boy was born to a not quite married young lady in a dusty town in a forgotten part of the Roman Empire. And we haven't forgotten about him for a second. It was a good story. And here Paul says, remember Timothy, only God is immortal see timothy would be walking through towns where there would be banners flags the equivalent of full color billboards rotating changing images all of them saying caesar is lord caesar is god caesar is immortal and paul's saying you remember who our king is remember who our ruler is and he's the only one that will not die the one thing all dictators all rulers all kings and presidents, whether good or incredibly evil, the one thing they have in common is that all of them are dead or will be. Only God is immortal. So act like that. Uh, act like you know that. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Um, Do I need to even talk about how money is not certain? Again, recording this at the 1st of October, our savings and savings is all we've got. We don't have a retirement plan. We don't have social security. um, We just have our savings. And our savings is about 25% less worth, so worth 75% of what it was two years ago, because inflation, changes in policy, uh, markets dropping, COVID, all of it put together, and it may drop further. So retirement's not something I think I'll ever be able to do uh, unless I, you know, just preach my last lesson and fall over dead, which would be great timing, great timing. Uh, and it is a concern. It's not, you know, I would love to tell you, Cammy and I don't even think about it, but we do. You know, when you're 65, I'm 65, she's just so young. You do think about it. But remember, even if somebody gave you millions of dollars, it might not be worth a penny tomorrow. Um, Cormac McCarthy, in his book, The Road, writes, it's a very short novel, it's a very sad novel about the, um, uh, the world after an apocalyptic event. He never describes what it is. But as he, this man and the young boy that he is taken to protect uh, are going through trying to find food, trying to find anything to help them survive, they come upon a stash of gold coins. You know, the same kind of gold people on TV are always telling you to buy. And they leave that behind because it means nothing now. There is no use for it now. You can use food or weapons, but you can't use that. Nobody wants it. Money's uncertain. Our future is uncertain. So what do we do? Cammy and I put our trust in God and we think that most of you do, too. And those of you that don't, you can do this. You can do this. None of us get off this planet alive, but we will get off safely because of where we're going and who loves us. Command them to be good, the rich people to do good, to be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Life that is truly life. What beautiful. It's almost a poem. Uh, A lot of chapter six is almost a poem. And you may want to look at it that way and see what you can pull out of it. I want to... um, bring up that you're not more holy because you're poor, you're not less holy because you're poor, and you're not more or less holy because you're rich. I've seen poor people that would stab you for a sandwich, and I've seen rich people that are slowly impoverishing themselves by giving. And then, of course, I've seen a lot of horrible rich people and a lot of lovely poor people. So you don't stereotype people by where they are financially. I remember we came Somewhere, I, I was just a boy, you know, we were told to hop in a car, or hop in a plane, hop on the boat. We, you know, but we came to a rich person's house and it was a mansion. Uh, now, if I were to see it today, I might not think so because I live in middle Tennessee where Mac mansions are everywhere. But I'd never seen such a place. It had even the wonder of an intercom in every room and it would play music well now when you find a house with that you go oh what out of date let's rip this out but I had never seen such a thing and they had bathrooms more than one you know it was just outstanding and at dinner I noticed it but it didn't really hit or register with me until later that the napkins were torn into two pieces just turn my Bible over Um, just halved and there was sufficient napkin later. My father would say that family is very rich, but they are very careful not to spend their money on themselves unnecessarily. They split their napkins and he gave a whole bunch of other things they do so that they can have more money to give to and he listed a bunch of missionaries and several good causes. Now, I actually remember the name of that family, but I'm not gonna say it. I don't want I have the feeling they wanted what they did to be private. Just be aware that sometimes you might drive past a mansion and not know how that's being used. And it might be a force for good. Paul saying, if you got the money, be a force for good. If you don't, be good. Because by being good, as he said earlier, you'll be a force for good. Okay? I'm not going to start our next uh, work here until next week because it just wouldn't make any sense now, would it? However, I will tell you that we're going to go to the book of Titus. Now, scholars are very divided on when these books were written and some question whether Paul wrote the books of Timothy at all. But I just don't want to get into that argument. Um, There are also good arguments to be made that whoever wrote 1 Timothy didn't write 2 Timothy because a lot of the verbs are different, a lot of the word choices are different. To me, that doesn't carry a ton of weight because I'm aware that when I'm under different situations and pressures, that my verbs and my word choices might be different as well. So not knowing the mind of Paul, I don't think I'm gonna make a statement saying he didn't write it, okay? But again, I understand the arguments. I see them. And the people that make the arguments aren't trying to write off the book. They're just trying to be good scholars. All right. But the time each one was written, they were probably written in batches. And so it doesn't really matter whether we go to 2 Timothy or to Titus. But we're going to go to Titus. All right. And it's a whole different ride than Timothy. I'll see you next week. God bless.